0: On today's episode of Diving In.
1: If we hinge our love for ourselves on a feeling and something as variable as a body, something that's truly changing every moment of the day, that's like such a bad bet to make. It's like not a good idea. We are the way that we feel about ourselves should not be connected to something that is never going to stay the same.
0: Welcome to Diving In, a podcast aiming to explore the deeper themes behind the entertainment and content creation industries. I'm Leslie Mosier. And I'm Marissa Mullen. Let's dive in.
2: On today's episode of Diving In, we have Sarah Nicole Landry, aka The Bird's Papaya. I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a trigger warning as we do touch upon sensitive themes of eating disorders and body dysmorphia. We really hope you enjoy this episode. It's a very healing and inspiring conversation about all things body confidence and self-love. Please be sure to subscribe to Diving In and give us a rating. It helps so much. Now, on to the episode. Today, we have a very special episode of Diving In with Sarah Nicole Landry, a.k.a. The Bird's Papaya. She is a creator, entrepreneur, podcast host, and a mom. Sarah is known for her vulnerable and transparent content, where she aims to shatter beauty standards and help people love their bodies more. I know she's definitely helped me love mine more. She also talks about family, life, and self-love on her podcast, The Papaya Podcast. Welcome, Sarah, to Diving In.
1: Thank you so much for having me. First of all, you said papaya podcast better than I ever have. It is a tongue twister. (laughs) I've practiced for years. It's still it. Thank you. That was a, that was a (laughs) lovely introduction.
0: Love it. Welcome, Sarah. We're so excited to have you here. Um, and how diving in works is we start off with more surface-level questions, mm-hmm. similar to a typical interview. And then as we dive deeper, we explore topics that are more personal, like internal struggles of the entertainment industry, content creation, imposter syndrome, overcoming health Ooh. struggles, et cetera. So we're going to start it off, start out on the surface with yeah. Leslie taking it away with, with some rapid fire <laughs> questions. Peel this o- we're going to oh. peel this onion. It's we're really gonna fun. Pe- we're
2: going to peel the papaya. We're going to take yeah. all the seeds. <laughs>
0: Get to the center love of love papaya. <laughs> I love it. Make some, some juice.
2: <laughs> oh, I love papayas. All right. Um, I know the answer to this first one, mm-hmm. but here are the rapid fire questions. What's your favorite breed of dog, favorite cheese, and what song has been on rotation?
1: Favorite breed of dog is Pug. I'm a oh, huge yes. fan. I was a I was a Doug fan before I got my own pug. Um, my favorite cheese, I'm actually dairy intolerant, but I still love a cheese. And I'm going to go with Brie because it's really good with the red pepper jelly. Oh, and classic. And then finally, song on repeat right now is I Burned LA Down by Noah Cyrus. Oh, I gotta check that out. It's a new one. It's a new one, and my one friend knows I'm obsessed with Noah Cyrus, and I love her music. And I just don't feel like she gets enough attention and play. And she's just so talented. And she sent me the the song, and it's just nonstop. Like I don't even have like a Spotify list. It just plays on repeat. <laughs> like there's just that's the song. <laughs> just this is what felt. we're listening to.
0: I do that all the time when I find a song I love. It's just yeah. like, I'll listen to it probably 600 times and then never again. <laughs> never again. That is dead to you. That is yeah. done forever. Like, I cannot yeah. hear this one more time. hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> or like you fall in love with a song on TikTok, and then it goes viral on TikTok, and all day, every day you hear the song, and then you're like, "Dang it, I I, I can't listen to the song on my own because yes. I hear it a hundred times already."
1: I, or you or you jumped onto it when it was like early in the trend, and you already had to listen to it forty five times to edit that video, and then every oh, yeah. and then you post it, and you're like, "Oh, this feels so original." <laughs> <And> you're like. <laughs> nothing is original anymore. Everything is TikTok. So everything is, oh, that person did it. Let me do it 40 million times more. Like it's just, it's so much of the same repetitive, like you have to really get into the groove of like being okay with that repetitiveness. But I do love, I still love TikTok. I still scroll it, but I have a less attention span
0: for that than I do written word, I guess. TikTok, it's like we always say one hour on TikTok is like four hours in real life and it just. Completely disillusions you from reality and it's a little bit dangerous, but it's so addictive and it's amazing. But anyways, so let's take it from the top. Um, Where are you from and what was younger Sarah like?
1: So I am from Guelph, Ontario. It's about an hour and a bit outside of Toronto in Canada and um, child me is a lot like me now. It's fascinating because I um was a very spirited kind of kid. I always got in trouble for talking too much in class. I always thought I'd do something like really amazing in life and uh I ended up getting married at a really young age and I had three kids by the time I was 25. And there was a big part of me that just stopped existing through that. There was, I don't know if I just carved out too much of myself to be a mother. I don't know if I just was slowly falling apart to a relationship that just wasn't working. I don't know what it is. But I know that after, like, I got divorced when I was 30 and there was this really, um, healing season, I guess you would say. And I just started to kind of like, oh, what are my opinions and what do I want to do today? And you start having to ask those questions when you're single for the first time since you were a teenager. And I remember my mom saying something to the the likes of, um, I haven't seen you for a while. Like it's been oh, a long man. time. Like I feel like Sarah's back. And so child like me is very much me now that I had to basically heal to return to and unleash her and and not shush her so much, not quiet her so much, not make her feel all the way she felt that she, you know, became this person that was so closed. And then like kind of reopened it. So I, I, I find it funny when people are like, oh, I found myself, I found myself. And whenever I hear finding myself, it looks like it's like, you separated and you mm. went somewhere away. It's like actually you just came home to yourself. It's a it's a homecoming for me. And so that's uh but child like me was very much that. I think when I when I envisioned a life and doing something big, I thought it would be a singer or an actress, but I had horrible stage fright for just those two categories. And uh, I, this stage that we have now didn't exist. Like, I never would have put myself as a public speaker or a podcaster or an Instagramer. Like, these platforms didn't exist. So it's almost like I had a vision for myself that truly was so incomplete
0: because it it didn't exist. Mm. I love that. That's so interesting. I feel similarly in that sense. Mm. And I feel like Leslie as well. Like mm-hmm. when I I worked in the music industry, as did Leslie, before kind of pivoting to this Instagram world. Yeah. And my passion was always something on stage, like same thing. And yeah. yeah, this platform didn't exist. And then when I found like my niche is charcuterie boards and cheese plates. And when I found Love. this like very specific niche that channeled that creativity on this public space, I was like, oh, that's where it is. Okay. And yeah, it's wild that there's some things that are meant for us that actually don't even exist in real life yet. It's interesting to see what the future holds in that.
1: (laughs) I I saw a TikTok recently and it was like, um, people who were told as a kid, they talk too much, tell me what you do as a job now. And it was like one after the other, after the other. And they had like, and it it just, I guess it really made me reflect because like, my kids are all very different. Some are quiet, some are loud, some are creative, some are not. They're like, they're so different and it it makes me have to shift in the way I look at them and I parent them because they are inherently who they are and you're somewhat guiding them through figuring out how to be in the world with who they are and, and trying to not shush, shush so much. And that can be really, really hard to do sometimes. <laughs> or like, I don't know, try and make them too much like what you, how you move through the world. But it's, yeah, it's interesting. My sister was a very quiet and shy person growing up and I was always like very, very loud. And I remember my mom mom parenting us very differently. And I always thought it was so unfair. And now I get it. Now I totally get it. Like, I've had to literally say to my kids, like, I will have different rules for you. Because you are all capable of different things and different boundaries. And I'm watching you as you move through those things. So yeah, the conditions around my parenting is going to be different based on where you're at in your own, you know, abilities and boundaries and personality, to be honest. I feel
2: like we also live in a really beautiful time of encouraging having those boundaries and having those spaces, whereas, mm-hmm. like, our parents' generation, you know, there weren't all of those tools to teach them, yeah. you know, we need to, like, let the creativity flourish or, you know, encourage all of those passions and yeah. whatever it may be, but... um yeah, I feel you guys on the, the wanting to be on stage, except uh,
1: my dog is the one that's <laughs> <about> the <laughs> took you there, right? But, but it yeah. had to be you. It had to be you with him, right? Like there's, right. Like, there's these puzzle pieces that don't always make sense. But uh, yeah, I was raised in an environment that was very encouraging to who I was. My mom worked as an early childhood educator, so she really understood that. Um, but it was teachers. I My mom told me this as an adult, but apparently a teacher at one point pulled my parents aside and said that I would never... Be anything. I would never make a name. I would never be able to do anything in this life because I was just so inept in school. I guess I was so distracted, or I—I I don't even remember what her why was. But she had my mom had made some sort of like a dedicated post towards me, and she was like, "I remember the day that like a teacher said that she would never become anything, and like look at her now." And I was like, "Wait, what? Oh, what did that happen?" And they were like, <laughs> "Well, we didn't tell you." And I was like, "Well, clearly." <laughs> but yeah, like I—I it, it, I find it fascinating, like Leslie, like for you. Yeah, it had to be. It had to be some sort of a puzzle piece to bring that creative. Like Doug isn't famous because he's Doug. Like yes, he is incredibly, incredibly special. But it had to come with a certain type of skill set and an awareness and pop culture mm-hmm. um, genius to make Doug who he is, right? And I feel the same must be for you with cheese and charcuterie. Like I trust me, my daughter's on this like charcuterie train right now. I swear she found too many TikToks, oh, and love she's it. like, we need to like and to figuring out how to style and appropriate charcuterie, you realize very quickly is not nothing. Like it is not a nothing. It's very fascinating. And we spent $250 and it was like
0: this tiny little plate. <laughs> it's, it's like interesting to kind of find these creative outlets, like whether it's a dog, whether it's cheese. And I totally agree with that. It's, it's the the passion and the creativity behind that to make it what mm-hmm. it is today. Mm-hmm. And, and I know, Leslie, with you too, it's like, it's always evolving. It's And Leslie has sent me some of her demos singing. And I'm like, girl, you do belong on stage, though. Yes. Like, let's talk about and it. And
1: you're in Nashville. <laughs> like, you just got to hop up on one of those. What's that bar with all the levels? You just got to hop oh, up gosh. on stage one day.
2: <sighs> if we can ever get in. It's so freaking crowded. It's, it's an unbelievable feeling to have that moment where you meet yourself again. Mm-hmm. And it's something to have so much gratitude for and those hard, tough experiences, you know, you with your divorce, me with my health. It's like, you have to go through those moments in yeah. order to find who the heck you are. Um, yeah. So did did you start your blog, The Birds Papaya, while you were going through all of this or was it during this
1: transition? Ooh it was like way before. So I actually The Birds Papaya is named after my two daughters, Gemma Birdie, Maya Papaya, it's their nicknames. Oh, and cute. back in the day, back in the early 2000s when you had a blog, you named it something really really cute. It was like Tater Tots and Jello, there was the Pioneer Woman. <laughs> oh yeah. Fingerprints on the fridge, like these were all like names. And so I went with The Birds Papaya because I was at home with these this toddler and this baby who is now 16 and 14, I can't believe it. But yeah, about 14 years ago, and I and I had this like broken old laptop. I Googled how to code my own blog. I had the worst writing, the a horrible camera. A lot of people who had come into blogging, like they had money to start it and I didn't. So it was a lot of like really scrappy behavior. But I loved that because it really drove me into not having success, but finding passion in it, like still doing it. And sometimes I'd find like my old emails when I was like pitching to like guest blog on Something and they're so cringy. Like uh, no, nobody in their right should have ever had me on. But I kept doing it. I, I really had this belief in something, right? And then I shifted to Instagram, and Instagram was, you know, very visual. Was it left the storytelling, and it became very much like, what are you wearing? What are you eating? Like, what are you doing every second of the day? And that was interesting because I loved it visually. I loved it, but it was hard for me. I was in a larger body. I didn't really know how to fit in because I could no longer make it about like what we were having for dinner, how I was, you know, renovating the house. Everything I was finding was like people taking pictures of their outfits and stuff. And I just felt so, so lost. So I decided to basically privately go on a weight loss journey. And when I hit around 40 pounds lost, people started giving me a lot of attention. And keep in mind, this is like Seven, eight years into being a creator, and suddenly everyone's giving me this attention. So I was like, okay, like this is uh, if people want to know about how I lost weight, like that's what I'm going to do because I felt like I had a really inspiring story because I was a stay at home mom. I didn't join a gym. I didn't even have money for exercise clothing. Like I was just being so scrappy about it, and people were really inspired by that. But Without any education, without any tools to actually know how to exercise or anything, I was working out like up to three times a day. I was downloading an app that had me eating what a toddler should eat. I gave myself an eating disorder essentially, mm-hmm. and I ended up losing a hundred pounds. And you know, the internet loved me for it. I had a lot of, I had a fair, fairly okay following at that point. I was starting to, it was starting to become, it was monetizing. I was I was finding this success. I got like some photo shoots and all of this really exciting stuff happening. Um, but at the same time, I was going through this like really difficult life decision in should I leave this marriage that I've been in for 11 years because I'm really deeply struggling with so much. And on top of that, This happiness that I saw in my body, I never got it. I've lost 100 pounds now. I now have more anxiety than I've ever had to leave my house. The whole point of this was to like – yeah, show up for my kids. I wanted to be a part of their world. I wanted to be able to shop wherever I wanted. I wanted all of these things. And then you got there and it was so sad and so upsetting. And I never wanted to leave the house. I edited every single photo I took of myself, everything even down to like, and I've left them all up, but like I would enlarge my eyes. So I like my eyes were bigger. My nose was smaller. My chin was smaller. My body was like altered. It was never enough because I was just always going through it. And uh, I remember after my divorce, I lost even more weight. So then I became underweight, and these health issues started to pop up that I only really cognitively faced that had to do with my um, eating habits and fitness, uh, like obsession. Um, Years later, I lost feeling in my legs at one point, and I went to to the hospital, went to the neurologist, went through all these things, and they literally looked at me and was like, oh, it's probably because you've lost so much weight that you're just bone on bone, you're pinching all these nerves, just so don't cross your legs anymore. Nobody was saying, like, you should maybe stop losing weight. Maybe this is really alarming. And I was also going through this horrific divorce. I'm horrifying in the sense that, like, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, Moved in with my parents, with my kids, and everyone was still like, congratulations, you've never looked better. And I was just a whole, whole lot of mess. And so I started – um, a new job. And I was like in a new career. I didn't have time to work out three times a day anymore. I'm working two jobs and trying to raise my kids and living at my parents trying to figure out this divorce. And at the same time, trying to heal out of this, you know, performative track that I put my body on that it was all about how much weight it could lose. Cause there was this movement of people talking about, you know, going through that path and like losing all the weight and then not feeling happy at the end. And I remember following one person, And I kind of hate followed her. Like, I followed her because she was, like, against everything. I'm like, I need to know what people are talking about so I know how to, like, combat it. Because this hate is what's keeping me thin. So me hating myself was what was keeping me thin. And that's all I cared about because that was my success. That's how I was getting attention. Like, it was really, really, really disordered. So I ended up um, healing a lot through social media, through other people's stories who had already gone through it, already had been there, and really slowly but surely – stopped hating them. And they became like this comfort for me. They became these people that collectively were helping me see that I was more than a body, that I was more than, you know, being thin. And I had to really heal through a lot of, and I still am healing through a lot of you know, internalized fat phobia, the fact that people in larger bodies don't get to move through this world the same way that everybody else does. That desire for me to get thin so I could shop with all my friends was so wrong because there's still a lot of people who are very left out of that shopping experience. And trust me, when you get to the other side and you get to go shop with your friends, you realize how absolutely heartbreaking it is to be this person in this body all along. But the second you're smaller, you're just part of society. It's it's it was a lot of like grieving and moving through it. And I just continued to basically through the advice of my therapist, I um, began journaling through my Instagram captions my healing. Mm-hmm. So it's never been perfect. It's probably been problematic at times. It's been a whole lot of things, but it, it's been real to the process of me. And that also included healing and meeting somebody new and getting remarried and having another baby and just a whole lot of stuff. So to answer your question, 14 years ago is when I started my blog.
2: One thing I am constantly striving to do for my body is lower inflammation. Higher inflammation means more pain and discomfort, and that's the last thing I want. My number one go-to supplement for inflammation is Turmeric Complex by Paleo Valley. I really, really notice a difference when I am taking this consistently. Their Turmeric Complex is made with full-spectrum, whole-food, organic turmeric. Most turmeric supplements only contain one specific compound found in turmeric root Curcumin. Turmeric Complex contains four powerful superfoods: turmeric, ginger, rosemary, and cloves, the most potent spices for promoting healthy inflammation and protecting against oxidative stress. I'm a huge believer in high quality supplements for our body, and I truly wouldn't recommend this if it wasn't really my go-to. For 15% off, go to paleovalley.com/slash diving
0: in. You really did pioneer this body positivity movement and Just, you know, being so vulnerable on social media, you're one of the first influencers on Instagram to be posting these photos of your body being like, I love my body the way it is. Um, What kind of brought you to that point after losing all this weight to then gain the weight and then on top of that feeling so vulnerable to post that and was it hard to kind of break through these thoughts that you had about yourself, and what was the reaction like to your followers when you kind of shifted that narrative? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
1: first, I want to um, I want to share something. This is actually really cool because I get asked this a lot in terms of like body positivity. But I will say, body positivity was actually an activism movement that happened way earlier, and a lot of people don't know this. But it was actually largely started by um, fat activism and by Black women, especially people who are truly in marginalized bodies. But most people people it kind of got co-opted in a big way. And I'll tell you why I've actually no longer consider myself body positive, because it would be so unfair for me to be the face of body positivity in any way, because I am still, I'm a size 12. I can still shop wherever I want. I am white. I am, you know, living, living within, like, I'm not marginalized in any way, basically, but I have a different body, right? I do have a body that people still identify with, or is different from, you know, what we've grown up with and seen. So I've kind of lived within the the realms of body neutrality or mm. body confidence. Because for me, body confidence is not a feeling activated thing, it's a showing up in your life. Mm. And body neutrality is deprioritizing your body from being the most important thing that's going on in your world. But to that point, too, even just to take the word positivity because the activism movement needs to be there it obviously is doing a lot of work however the that idea to be positive about yourself all the time i think was really is where a lot of people get caught up because i, I don't feel positive all the time that is not the heartbeat of my existence i rarely feel look in the mirror and i'm like hot ah, damn here we go like let's let's do this like no it's a lot of oh gosh i still don't know what i i still don't love what i look like but how am i going to nourish myself today how am i going to move today how am i going to show up in love not for love of a feeling not in confidence of a feeling but in action how how am i going to love myself through action today how am i going to be there for my kids today how am i going to navigate massive body change that a lot of people have gone through for so many different reasons whether it's medically induced um, whether it's medication induced whether it's pandemic induced, mental health induced, or like me, I just had my fourth child. I had a really complicated pregnancy and uh, my body changed really drastically again in front of my eyes. I had to grieve fully emotionally through that process. and I think grief is an incredibly important part of doing this work. And then when it came to social media, I mean... I go, sometimes go back and I look at like the old fitness posts and almost nobody follows me anymore. Like, uh, I, and I get it, right? Like there's a lot of people who were like I was, who needed to kind of be fueled by this idea of constantly pursuing change. And let's be real. There's a lot of people out there that's like, no, I work out for my mental health only. Then I, I was just actually coming to this realization the other day and I'm going to get off track, but there was this person and she was showing a before and after of herself, rotating her body, showing her abs. And she was like, this has been different for me this time. It's all about my mental health. And I'm like, but for anybody watching this, you're now watching somebody shift their body to smaller, more toned, and then connecting mental health as a reason why. So a lot of us are digesting that as, so if I get thinner and I get abs, my mental health improves. And that can't be like this is why it, it's almost impossible to talk about fitness with mental health and then also be showing transformation photos. Like it is so difficult when there's people like me who was like why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? Cuz I was only ever moving my body in order to change what I looked like would we, how many people would still work out if they knew it would never change how they look like? How many people would still be like getting up every day and dedicating themselves to the same diet the same exercise if they knew it had nothing to do with what they looked like and it was entirely for their mental health? And I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I know what foods make me feel good. I know what foods are good for my mental health. I know what kind of activity is good for my mental health. And I'm telling you, it wasn't eating nothing and working out three times a day. So I get that a lot of the people who were following on that track are Perhaps still in a in diet culture, and I don't blame them. They are not they are not the the tree I'm swinging at, right? Like that is not where I'm going for. That's not where I have any type of concern. I have concern for my own life and the way that I'm living, and I hope to just show up and reflect for other people that like we can do a lot of things without constantly pursuing weight loss. That like they say on average, oh, I think I forget this number now but about two a year for your entire life with a span of um, longest, the average diet lasts six days and the average person goes on two a year. And I think overall we have over 140 diets in our lifetime that we go on. The diet industry as a whole has a 95% failure rate and is one of the most most um, spent on industries in the world. So they don't have, they're not looking to have people have weight loss success stories. Nobody is going to win in diet culture except for diet culture. They want you to feel like you are the problem so that you buy into it again and again and again. Only 5% are winning. That means 95% are return customers unless you bounce the fuck out and you're like, yeah, I'm just not going to put my mm-hmm. money and my time here anymore. So uh, my uh, what's really cool though, about that part, and to finally answer your question, is that I had like 60,000 followers at the time. I was like at the height of like my fitness page and my weight loss page. And now I have 2 million. And that took me not being what I thought everybody else wanted of me and actually tuning into who I was. Mm. And that took guts. It wasn't easy. And I think that it's, very um, trendy, obviously, right now too, to be talking about your bodies and body acceptance. It's become very mainstream. But um, there's there's going to be things in two, three years from now that are going to be mainstream. But it, it, I think for me, at the end of the day, it came down to that was truly where I was at in my life and in my body, and why I had to share from that perspective.
2: Wow. I mean, there's so much there that I resonate with with my own self love and you know former eating disorder body dysmorphia yes. journey. Um, you know, growing up, I had reduced fat, low fat, everything was like the diet food and, um, love them so much. My parents, you know, were overweight while I was growing up and Mm -hmm. there was a part of me that resented that and feared that for myself. I don't even think I've ever really said that out loud, but it's true. It was, you know, I was fat phobic and, um, you know, I was, You know, larger when I was younger, and all of a sudden I get to high school, I join the tennis team, I start running every day, fall in love with running. But then it becomes, oh, I have to run every day, sometimes running twice a day, and I lose all this weight. And suddenly, boys want to talk to me. Suddenly, I'm a little more popular at school. I, you know, feel confident. And it was just like this, oh my God, like, I'm, you know, the best version of myself ever because I lost this weight. And then I got to college and things got a bit more dangerous. Um, Mm. I was in a really toxic relationship and would, you know, run to kind of combat those feelings, but then only drink a naked juice protein shake, you know, and that would be my one thing. Or I still remember someone telling me, oh, do the apple diet, only eat a bag of apples for a day and, you know, you'll still be full. And so like I started trying all these things and trying to achieve and keep up this body that I built when I was 16. Yes. And as you know, I have endometriosis and hormonal issues and thyroid issues. And so, you know, I start becoming a woman and developing more. And all of a sudden, my body is changing. And it triggered such a reaction in me. And it's something that I'm still dealing with mm-hmm. where I, I feel less than I was back then because I don't look this certain way that once gave me this like aha moment of confidence. And I have a horrible memory of, it was right before our wedding, this company, I'm sure you've seen this thing. um, It's called a naked mirror. You stand in front of the mirror and it's a scale. What? And it scans your body from head to toe while weighing you, doing the BMI crap, all that stuff. And then it rotates you. So it creates this like, I don't even know how to describe it, like a 3D image of your- (laughs) But it measures your body. And they were like, we saw you're going on your wedding. We want you to have this. And so I was like, yes, like this is going to help me get in shape for the wedding. I didn't need to get in shape for the wedding. I I looked amazing. He already loved you. It told me I was obese. And that sent me into a spiral for so long- and i just like i get even now i'm like so angry that it to- it, it it's just so damaging these yeah. products these yeah. the messaging the you know trying to learn to like re love myself and re teach myself that those ways of the early 2000s like mm. that's not what it needs to be so i'm i'm currently on this journey of you know post surgery my body is still different but like how do I love myself more? And one of those mm-hmm. the things that I did recently was, okay, my jeans aren't fitting very well right now. So what am I going to do? I'm going to buy the good American jeans in the right size. And they're so comfortable. They're yes. so flattering for curves. Yeah. And I'm like, hell yeah, I look amazing. And I'm not trying to force myself into you know a phase that I was in in the past, like I am me now, I love Mm. myself and I'm going to like give my body what it needs to thrive. Like you said, the good foods, how do I nourish myself today? And it is, it is a hard thing to turn yourself around from. I mean, it is a lot of therapy, a lot of inner growth, spiritual growth, whatever. But, um, it, 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 truly is thanks to accounts like yours that I, it, snaps me back into that wow like this is this is the mindset that I truly want to be in.
1: Yeah, and and like a couple things to that. First of all, I also grew up with a mom who was overweight and that was a very, it was hard to watch her constantly struggle, like the slim fast for lunch, the diets constantly. And she just, just watching your, somebody you love, hate themselves, but also watching them move through the world in a way that was harder, right? Like going on to amusement park rides, she couldn't fit on them. So, you know, she always said like that was so hard and traveling was really, really hard for her as well. And, you know, I think that a lot of times when we feel that a lot of our fat phobias, actually it's just rooted in watching other people have unsafe journeys and unaccepted journeys through life. And when, you know, we talk about obesity, people are like, you know, if you're being so this or that, then you're promoting obesity, obesity kills. Okay. Actually though, obesity is so much more because, if you go to the doctor and you're obese, I, this is, I'm just quoting somebody who came on my podcast and she's in a much larger body. And she came on and she was like, I go to the doctor for a sore throat and they send me home and tell me to lose weight. Everything is about weight, everything. So people are dying because they're not being even given a basic rights access to healthcare. So yeah, we're all terrified of being fat. We're terrified of it because we've been conditioned to believe that that is the worst you can be in this society. People aren't even that concerned about people being racist or unkind. We're more concerned of, but are you, are you fat? And this is like the worst thing that you can be. And that and, you know, right down to clothing stores have Truly separated. We've been shopping in separate areas, in separate stores, even from people who are in larger body. Why would we risk ourselves to having to go to another side of a store? Like, it is so disordered. It's so distorted too in our own brains of like how everything works and why we are the way we are. But I, I, when I said earlier, like that's not the tree I'm swinging at. My point being, when we're the ones that are struggling with you know, disordered eating or body dysmorphia or even using filters on social media, that's the low hanging fruit. Of what's going on there is a massive tree and it is a very it, it's a very big tree and it, it's so generational like our parents it wasn't their fault it goes so far back it's every gen every generation has like a different thing like we had victoria's secret models <laughs> we have every generation has like a different thing that makes us feel like crap and makes us feel like we're failing at whatever standard exists that day And so women especially have been put into this category of our bodies being our focus. And doesn't it make you just think, I think it was Jamila Jamil that said something around, you know, the lines of how distracted we are, like Mm -hmm. why the mass distraction, why Mm -hmm. are being so distracted by our bodies? It's because that actually upholds the patriarchy. Like if we want to get mad about it, like Mm -hmm. we're so focused on what we look like that we're forgetting about every other part of us. Like we're forgetting about all of the other things that really matter. And one more thing is our clothing, clothing is like literally exists to like fit our bodies. And yet we are so we put so much pressure on ourselves to fit into clothes. Like we put so much pressure on ourselves to fit into a certain size or a certain clothing and like clothing exists to fit on our bodies, not the other way around. Like it's, it just takes so much having conversations like this, having like, even Leslie, when you're talking and like saying it out loud, like I, you know, I'm trying to fit into these jeans from a life that you don't live anymore from a body that is completely different. That is like working so hard to keep you well. And you're like, but you don't fit in the pants. So yeah. Right. Like, but totally. I had a day last week where actually, yeah, last Thursday I was trying on outfits and you know, it's been a while since we've gone to events or anything. So everything in my like dress wardrobe was stuff I had from before the baby. And I'm thinking, okay, it's like been a year or something. I'm sure they're just dresses. They're not like pants. Like are they're going to fit? And like nothing is zipping up, nothing is zipping up. And like, I'm somebody who works in the space day in and day out. Fourth or fifth dress in, I started to get sad because it wasn't just about Oh my gosh, my body has changed a lot. It was having to let go of these things that I clearly held on to because I loved them so much, or I thrifted them and they were like such a good deal, or I spent a lot of money on them, whatever it was. This like letting go process when we're also changing in our bodies is actually so hard, especially I get attached to like inanimate objects all the time. So like my clothes. I got, I'll, I'll look at a shirt and I'll be like, oh, but I wore that. And like one of my first dates with Shane, like, or I, or that's what I wore when I was, you know, pregnant with the baby. Like I I get so attached to things and we just went through home organization and really uh, recognized how much I was emotionally hoarding things. Right. And having to let them go is actually letting my body be as well. It was actually freeing me up to other opportunities. There's nuance to all of this. Not everybody has money to buy new clothes, but it is a um, very difficult Thing. And I think I just want to validate the fact that like a lot of us struggle when we change a pant size. And it's not just like how we feel about our bodies. It's like letting go of like a whole chapter of ourselves to open up to the new one. And that can be
0: hard. Totally. And to kind of go back to the whole concept of not all stores sell sizes for all bodies, we have them separate. Like that's just even thinking about that as a concept is so crazy. And growing up, I was I've always been tall. I'm like, almost six feet And when I was younger, I, we can always talk about lovely Halster and Abercrombie. You know, I was never, ever, I could never fit into those clothes ever. Like even now Abercrombie has changed, which is amazing. Like Mm -hmm. I actually love their jeans, but I'll never forget going to the mall with my mom. And I come from a different situation where my mom is a personal trainer. My dad rides 50 miles on his bike every day. My parents are so fit and that fucked me up in a different way. Because I was never the skinny standard size person, you know, I was always bigger than my peers, my classmates, always the tallest girl in class until the guys started to grow, but never got that you know male attention in middle school high school um also was in a bigger body because I was growing, I had baby fat, it's a thing, it happens, and I'd be at the store with my mom and just be like crying at Abercrombie and it killed me, but at the same time, like I didn't know how to kind of like go through kind of a weight loss process at that age just because you're so young and you're just like, this is just how I am. And it, it made me feel very inside, very unworthy. But on the outside, I was always that type of person that everything's fine. I'm great. Everything's great. I'm happy. And my mom, I actually had a conversation with her last week about this because I knew we were having this podcast. And I was like, mom, do you mind if I kind of talk about our experience growing up? Because she really... um was, she was afraid that I would lose opportunities in the world if I was in a bigger body. And she would tell me these things where she's like, you know, Riss, if you just lost 10 pounds, you'd be like a supermodel. You have such a beautiful face. But like, if you gain 10 pounds, like, you're gonna, you're just right in the middle. Like, you're, you're almost, you know, just saying these little things that And she apologized to me. She's like, I never meant that to harm you. I just didn't want you to be in a place where you couldn't fit into any clothes anywhere and you were missing opportunities and all these things. And I was like, well, mom, listen, like I was at my heaviest actually when I was 22, you know, post-college, I got my dream internship. I was not this like struggling, depressed fat person. I was like in a bigger body, but I totally, everything was like great and fine. And I kind of formed my own um, sort of, eating habits and lifestyle and I lost this weight super naturally and in a healthy way and I still find myself sometimes hearing her in the back of my head you know being at this weight now where I'm like oh maybe I need to lose more weight because I I'm afraid to go back to where I was in this point but then I remember I'm like wait no I was happy then so it's like yeah such a crazy mindset. and our mothers
1: are you know I talk to a lot of people, and a lot of people their their body journey starts with well, my mother, mm-hmm. and almost every mother has her mother, and her mother before her. Like your mom was just recycling what she knew. She was just recycling the conditions that were put on her. She was just recycling the world that she saw and how fatphobic it was, and knowing that yes, if you're thinner, you do get more opportunities. So instead of looking at the world and being like, that is so skewed, she looked at you and was like, I just want you to move through this world easier. I think that's like parents love in so many ways and like not always with all the information of everything that's going on. And I think this generation, like, especially millennials going through, you know, this healing chapter, a lot of parents are feeling a lot of guilt. And I, I know I might come to a day where my kids are like, I wish you hadn't have done that. And I'll be like, oh, damn it. That's all that's, I did everything within the realm of the information that I had at the time. Right. And if things were different, they would be different. But I love that you said that you were your happiest at, you know, your largest size, which is such an important thing. Cause then, yeah, you actually went on to lose weight later, but we kind of do this all the time where we forget that our bodies can really ebb and flow all yes. the time. Oh my gosh. They ebb and flow all the time. My husband was the first one to ever say that to me. We were early dating. And I think I was talking something around, you know, my fears of like, gaining weight. And now that we were in a relationship and I wasn't like, I was actually starting to get mentally healthy. I was actually worried that I was eating food again. I was worried that it was going to mean I was gaining weight and like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And he was just like, honestly, I gain and lose like the same 30 pounds every year. And I don't care because I love summer patio season. And I love that. And then it all comes off in like the winter or whatever. He was just like, bodies ebb and flow. Like that's just like what they do. Think and, about like bears with hibernation. Right. Like, I like looked at him natural. and I was like, what the fuck like to be a man in this world like you just get to <laughs> right you just get to oh. ebb and flow through the, but like they do have their own you know they, they do have their own body issues and stuff as well but not in the same way that it would like make them lose out on opportunities or yeah. you know the size of them would to a certain degree I'm sure um it wouldn't be as pressurized or like Oh, are you worried if you're, that your significant other is going to leave you because you gained weight? Are you worried about what he thinks about you? Are you still able to have sex? Are you still happy? Like we are so, um, we've romanticized thinness to the point that we actually don't believe that people in fat bodies can be happy, can be healthy, can be in successful relationships, can be having sex, can be having kids. Like we're so like, it is, it has been so important for me to follow people who are in much larger bodies than I am, because watching them be like these happy sexual beings in good relationships, in great jobs, like killing it in their careers has really like dismantled that idea that their bodies is what makes them successful. And like, I think we all kind of like, at some point have to check into that journey because newsflash we're all aging. It all goes to shit. It's going to hang in every direction. It's going to pool (laughs) in areas. It's going to muffin top. It's going to stretch and and change. It's going to scar. It's going to do a lot. And like, we need, but then if you look at like the studies, like people in their like seventies and eighties have like the best sex lives. They're like the most um, they've like lost body like content or what's it called? Uh, like a lack of confidence. Cause they're just like, who the hell cares? Like everything's yeah. gone to shit. Like we're just going to live. Our- we only have, we only have this one life and I think they get it. Right. So how do we channel the 80 year old Boca Raton retired woman into our 20 and 30, 40 something selves? Like, how do we, how do we do that? And I think a lot of it comes to the fact that we have to let go of the idea that we're going to stay the same size as we were when we were 16. We have to let go of the idea that we're not going to change. We have to let go of the fact that like our resistance to ebbing and flowing and the idea that our thinness, it will equate to happiness, success and whatever in this world. And so it's all very like, it's all very fascinating to me. Right. And I have these conversations with my own mother all the time who has, you know, changed sizes a ton of times and has gone through a lot of healing herself as well.
0: Yeah. I I think the conversation we had last week was one of the most healing ones that we've had just because I mean, her whole life you know she she also in high school was like a little bit overweight and then she had two kids before the age of 30 lost a bunch of weight and yeah got that positive attention from people and for her now she just kind of likes to feel good in her body and that's what i'm trying to channel as well like what foods make me feel good and not bloated and like you know lethargic what exercise makes me feel empowered not like Exhausted, you know, and I, when I was younger, I used to literally revolt against exercise because she would tell me to go on a run. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to sit on the computer and not go on a run. Um, But finding classes for me in my own journey without her, like separating my mindset of my body from my mom's perception of me was like one of the most healing things I could do because I don't have, I don't need her approval anymore and I don't need her direction anymore. And I can go on this own path. And figure out what works best for me. And I love what you said about, you know, your bodies are changing. Everything is temporary. One one week you'll be, you know, on your period and weigh 10 pounds more. It's, it just happens. And not being so guilty and feeling so shameful for those times is like what I'm just trying to drill into my head every day. And it's it's nice to know that like 99% of females feel this way about themselves too. <laughs>
1: What well, we've been conditioned to. But Leslie, you would get this as well. Like, especially when you're unable to exercise, it makes you have to channel. Like I remember when I was, even after I'd like healed from like obsessive exercising, I still had to work out every single day. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting the flu once and like the panic that ensued inside my body. And I was like, well, at least you have the flu. So you're like throwing up a lot. It'll be fine. It's going to balance out. Like it all comes back up. But like I, my pregnancy, I was put on something called pelvic rest. So I wasn't on bed rest, but I wasn't allowed to have sex or exercise. Mm -hmm. And so I spent months and months and months being like, oh my gosh, all my muscles gone, all my muscles done. But you have had surgeries, endometriosis, she says, there are times where really, you're like, I actually physically can't go do that. I can't go for a run. I don't even have the option to do the mentally healthy form of exercise. And then having to let go of that layer of it all. It's a lot.
2: It's so hard. I I have a memory from being in high school and being so sick, but still going on the elliptical because I did not want to give up that day of exercise. And then fast forward to, you know, the past year In college, I ran four half marathons like I was an actual runner and it it was my pre-therapy form of therapy. Right. So I I truly miss that rush and the endorphins that I would get, you know, as in a healthy way. Um, But with my endo, I've had to take the past year of running off and extreme exercise. You know, I don't know if I can lift weights for another six to eight months. I'm doing walking and, you know, enjoying it and feeling really good. But to prove to myself, like it was a more moment of empowerment than like weight loss. I went for my first run post-surgery a week ago And I ran one mile around the track. I took it super slow. You know, it was this big moment of celebration for Rob and I, but just as kind of, I suspected it backfired and my body went into like freak out mode. I got super puffy, very achy at night. Like all of these things kind of went haywire because my poor little adrenal glands saw that moment of activity and celebration as stress.
1: Yeah. Um, And so- I have adrenal fatigue as well. Yeah. I had to stop- I just stopped my Peloton. Mm -hmm. I'm on thyroid medication. I like having a baby, like mess me up hormonally. It's very bizarre to be like, our advice to you is to stop exercise, stop, like stop (sighs) doing so much. You're literally stressing your body out so much that it's backfiring. And you know, you actually need to eat more. You need to eat more food. (laughs) It's so hard when you're like sitting at a doctor's office and that's like, well, it's my naturopath, but literally being told the opposite of everything you've ever known to keep your body small. And it's just like, actually you need your, you have a lot more going on and your body is registering exercise as stress. That was so hard to hear.
2: Yeah. It's, it's a very tough thing to hear and to abide by, you know, it's like, you still find yourself sneaking, trying to sneak in things and being like, this is okay because X, Y, and Z, but also letting go of, I've had trouble with this lately. We just booked, um, a birthday trip to Hawaii this summer. And I'm so excited. But one of my first thoughts, the conditioning of my past was, oh my gosh, what am I going to do to like look my best in a bikini? Like, will I feel, will my body be this certain way by then? And so trying to let go of that is so tough. But at the same time, you know, even just that recognition of, hey, like, I don't want to think this way. That's a win, you know, like it, it's baby steps and just, loving yourself and being like, that's okay, Leslie. Like I, you have trauma in your past. You're going to have these thoughts, but not to shame myself for having those thoughts.
1: A big one is like recognizing your first thoughts and second thoughts. Your first thoughts are the ones that like come to your head. And then the second thoughts are the ones that like, are you learning? Right. So yeah, you might be like, oh my gosh, I, you know, want to look like this before I go on this trip. And then your second thought is I, Deserve to be on this vacation, no matter what I look like. Yeah, like, yes. I, I don't know why I care so much about random strangers than I do yeah. about actually being there and existing and celebrating my birthday or my you know time with my partner. All of these things that we really do—we uh, do it for weddings, we do it after a baby, mm-hmm. we do it um, for vacations over and over, and then it, it 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 puts us in a cycle that then people go on vacation and they indulge because they've been so restrictive that they don't even know how to handle it. And then you come home and you feel like crap about yourself and you're like, Oh, if I had only just stuck with it. It's funny to me now because I still struggle with these things. I have a bathing suit shoot like this week and it's on a trip and I'm, I haven't been on a beach in like actual years and it was Easter weekend. So like, obviously we're having like this big meal and to not be like, Oh, only take half the amount, or you need to go out and like exercise twice because you have this my body's my body. I'm going to do the shoot as I am. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, I I'm so excited that it's taken years to do this, but I'm so excited that even though my first thought is, oh my gosh, I have to wear a bathing suit and I wish I looked differently. And my second thought being, I actually just really deserve to be there. And I deserve, my body deserves just as much as anybody else does. And I'm excited to go. And I'm just going to focus on that.
0: I mean, that's, that's progress, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. I remember I was in St. Martin in December and there was a nude beach there. And my friend and I like walked down the beach just to like, you know, walk on by. And so many bodies of so many sizes, all like older people, all butt naked, just (laughs) rolls and boobs and penises out. And, And they're all just like playing in the water, having so much fun. And I'm like, why do we even care? like look at yeah. these people like they' they're fucking living their lives, and like no one cares what they look like. and yeah. that after that experience, I was like, okay, man, this is just we are conditioned here. like it's yeah crazy.
1: because the, all they're doing is just showing up like that's yeah. that's all they just they made their only prerequisite that they just had to show up. And then we like, jump through 45 different hoops before we feel like we deserve anything. And again, like, why are we doing so much for people that have no idea? have never walked a day in our shoes. We're like literally showing up for, or we're keeping ourselves small and keeping ourselves at home because of people we've never met, we'll never talk to, have nothing to do with us. Or, be, or from people who genuinely love us. I know for me, I was like, not withholding sex, but I definitely was not, um, I wasn't being vulnerably intimate at all with my husband after the baby was born, because I was like, I'm so uncomfortable. And all it was doing was damaging our mutual relationship. Not that it was damaged, like, I don't think so in total, but it was only removing my own pleasure from the experience. It wasn't, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think that we really, We've hyper-trained ourselves that that is, that our bodies are so important that we feel like we don't deserve good things, enjoyable things like vacations or sex or like cute outfits because of how we think we look to this world. And that's like so sad because we really only get one go at this. And even if you have two years when you look at your quote unquote absolute worst Then I still don't want to erase those two years. I want to be able to look back and say, at least I got to do all the things still. At least I still went to the amusement parks and I did all the fun stuff with my kids. And I went to the beach. Like I'm so glad I did all those things, Mm -hmm. even at my quote unquote worst, which Mm -hmm. probably you'll look down the road and be like, I actually looked perfectly fine and was amazing. And why did I do that to myself?
2: So if you had one piece of advice for someone who wants to break free of the chains of our society's body expectations, what would it be and where would you suggest that they start?
1: I think the very first thing is to stop attaching emotion to the experience, to really like understand that you are emotionally connected to your body. There is going to be moments of grief and there's going to be moments of joy, but the overarching message should not be chasing a feeling. If we, if we hinge our love for ourselves, on a feeling and something as variable as a body, something that's truly changing every moment of the day, that's like such a bad bet to make. It's not a good idea. We are, the way that we feel about ourselves should not be connected to something that is never going to stay the same. So we have to go deeper. We have to go more than that. And I think my best advice is to stop trying to love what you look like, to stop trying to wait for this feeling of being confident all the time and just Constantly ask yourself how you can show up that day, whether it is like taking yourself on a walk or everyone's is gonna be different, like having a cup of coffee. I love this is a weird one, but mine's skincare. I don't know why I just feel very connected to myself because when I'm doing skincare, and it's only like a two minute routine at the beginning and end of the day. But I don't know, it's like an act of self love because even in like the worst pits of like postpartum, when I had zero time to myself and no energy, there was something nice about like, oh my gosh, we slapped some moisturizer on today. Like you're still here. I still see you. We got this. Find those moments. It's, it's not going to be these big windows of time all the time, but like, Check in with yourself. What is really going to make a difference in your day that you can show up for yourself in love? There's a million books on how to do this with a partner. There's a million books on how you show up in love. I always say to my husband, it's picking up his socks off the floor. Like <laughs> I freaking hate that he, does. he always leaves socks <laughs> on the floor and I pick them up all the time. But that's me acting in love. It's not that I love picking up his socks. I'm acting in love. What if we ha- took that type of thinking of relationships that we have with everybody else and we did it for ourselves? What if we stopped looking at ourselves as the reason that we're lovable as being our bodies. I'll tell you right now, anybody that you've ever been in a relationship with their body doesn't even land in the top five reasons you love them. It's Mm -hmm. just not there. So we really have to detach the emotion from what it really is from the action and, and just start figuring out and chipping away at that. And also following a lot of people that challenge that thinking as well, or reassure you in that thinking. And if you notice that you're getting sort of a social media hangover of any sort, um, checking out from that, like muting that account, unfollowing it if you need to, being more intentional about taking care of your mental health and understanding that, you know, my mom as a kid, we would always be like garbage in, garbage out. What you watch is what, who, like, how you think? But it is true. Like what yeah. you end up watching on social media does impact you, right? When we see these, what I eat in a day videos, they mm. impact us, oh, right? Like everybody has like a different, a different way. And when we see a thin person eating, a certain way, then we adopt that diet. Well, I might be allergic to have those things. I might be intolerant to those things. We have to really start being very aware and being more mindful consumers on social media, so that we can start creating better boundaries um, around ourselves and protecting our own hearts and minds and bodies while we navigate it.
0: Love that it's so funny. At the end of these episodes, our advice is always like: put down the screens, go outside. <laughs> It's like, just so off the screen. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm still in freaking Canada. And I swear to I keep trying to go outside every
1: day oh, it's and like day. So let's cold. just get a little walk in <laughs> and it snowed yesterday. It snowed. It is, it is like springtime and it's snowing. I'm so ready for like some good weather. Cause it oh, just yeah. changes your whole
0: life. So what is next um, for you and the birds papaya? Well, I never know what's next. I don't even know
1: what I'm going to post today. That's the fun of it all. It's all a bit of a journal. It's all a bit of a journey. Um, But you can always catch me on my podcast, uh, the Papaya podcast. It comes out every Monday. And I have my um, Instagram, the Birds Papaya, my blog, TikTok. And also I have a photo and video app that is designed to not make you feel like you have to correct yourself. There's a lot of apps out there. They were all about correcting yourself. So we wanted to go after creativity, not correction. And it's called the pink papaya app. And you can find that as well. It's free to use. Um, Then you can get some add-ons. There's really cool things like uh, glitter stretch marks on there,
2: man. You are amazing and just so inspiring. And I feel very grateful to be connected with you. Um, I think you know, even just on a personal level, both Marissa and I needed to have this conversation today. <laughs> this I is think very healing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so healing. And it's so um, important for us women to talk about this, you know, and to just have these deep conversations, because you never know what someone has gone through and what they're struggling with mentally and those intrusive thoughts, how it just constantly can bombard us. So um, really, really appreciate you coming on.
1: I appreciate you both so much. And like, thank you so much both too, for like being vulnerable about your own stories and your upbringings and everything. Cause I think that that's where change happens when we really like face everything, right? Like face the whole picture and the whole story and not just take everything at face value. Like the name of your podcast, I get it going deep, but like really, if you go deep in why we even feel this way in the first place, you realize a lot of it's not our fault. And so we really have to Um, get rid of a lot of the shame so we can gracefully move through types of these conversations. So I just appreciate the space to do it so much.
0: Thank you. Well, everyone go check out Sarah at the bird's papaya and Sarah, you are great.
2: And we're so happy to be connected. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on and until the next episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of diving in. This show is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is by Rob Chanelli. As always, if you liked this episode, please share us with your friends and family and give us a five-star review. And hit that subscribe button to be reminded when a new episode comes out. If you have any questions for the show, our email is info at To stay up to date with all things Diving In, you can follow us on Instagram at divinginpod or visit us online by going to divingin.community. See you next time.